The Canucks will be without a star player in their lineup when they welcome the Devils to town tonight. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host as usual. Canucks insider Thomas Trance also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Devils just wrapping up their morning skate. Canucks already off the ice. They've spoken to the media. Uh, and Drancer, I did enjoy towards the end of Bruce Boudreaux's media availability when you, uh, you know, just doing your due diligence, checking in, asked him if he could confirm that Demko was the starter tonight. And <laughs> Boudreaux gave a little chuckle. And he said, yeah, yeah, I can confirm that. I can go ahead and confirm that for you. Well, I d- did you notice, too, I also tried to rope him into my East Coast <laughs> sports viewing is I better did notice take. that. <laughs> Just, just hypothetically, which is better, Bruce? Like, no, it's which way better. Do you prefer? It's way better out here. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, I mean, obviously, I was obviously I was pursuing my own agenda with that question, yeah. but I was just thinking about the playoff chases that I worked for the. Do you have the dinger ready, yeah. Faber? When I was with the Florida Panthers. Thank yeah, you. There we go. Thank you. And you know, our, our coach at the time. Bob Bugner would come off the ice and ask right away, right? Did we get any help? Right. And just to just to clarify that season for everybody, right? The Panthers we finished that 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 year the team finished the season 27 8 and 3 in the last 38 games. 96 point team missed. Missed the playoffs on the last day of the year, right? So as you can as you can assume, we never got any help right it was always no and then a loud curse word (laughs) so I was just thinking about like would a coach rather know before they play right or find out after you play would you rather hold serve or or the opposite or return so that was really what I was getting at in addition to you know I didn't ask Bruce, if he prefers 10 a.m. like football, Bruce, Bruce, uh, does 10 a.m. football give you the time you need for brunch? <laughs> I didn't quite get to that oh, point. Dear. Interesting availability with various Canucks players today, including JT Miller, Nick Patan, who grew up with a poster of the West Coast Express in his room and will play his first game wearing Brendan Morrison's number seven for the Vancouver Canucks in his hometown tonight um, in Spelling Elias Pettersson, who Bruce Boudreau continues to refer to as day-to-day and, and insists that it's not a long-term thing. Which, yeah, says he's an option for Thursday, potentially. Which crucial, right? Because oh. one edge the Canucks have had over some of the other teams in this playoff race is the fact that they're healthier. And, and that's not something that you can count on, right? That's a point that I've sort of tried to continually make is that you, you can't count on being healthy because this is a contact sport. Things change really quickly. But the fact that the Canucks should be getting Pedersen back shortly, should be getting Tucker Pullman back shortly. Bruce Boudreaux suggested that there's a date that they're just waiting for, for, for Pullman to hit, and then he'll per- perhaps get into the lineup. Um, you know, that's that's really good news. The Canucks could use both players back desperately, obviously Pedersen more so, but Pullman too, especially when you consider, you know, the fact that while Hamannick has looked really good on that pair with Hunt, this is a problem that the Canucks have right now, eh? Like, just a, just an a- additional thing. Other than Shen, they have a bunch of righties, Pullman and Hamannick. I think this applies equally to them both, arguably Kyle Burrows too, where on the third pair, 
They've been totally fine. It works. But when you put them with Quinn, all of a sudden you're noticing the f- issues in their game. And and for Pullman and Hamannick in particular, considering the cost, they need to be more than third-pair guys. They need to be four fives, right? They need to be in that tier. And I think with Pullman, you know, he works defensively with Hughes, but then you see him just sort of bobble some pucks at the offensive blue and, and sort of just spoil a, a few offensive possessions. And in Hamannick's case, that doesn't happen, but I don't know that he's fully up in gear the way he usually would be in terms of his defensive game, considering he's missed so much action. And certainly that first period against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Canucks are playing Shen with Hughes again tonight. That's the only reasonable course of action after the way that Hamannick and Hughes started that game on Sunday. So, you know, you kind of run into this issue where you've got all this money committed to a bunch of guys who, you know, you can't move ahead your of your 850K option on the right side. Like, that's one of the roster issues that, that Boudreaux has to manage. And, and luckily, Boudreaux seems to be able to make chicken salad out of, you know, whatever ingredients <laughs> you give him, right? Clearly. And not just chicken sal- salad, but like artisanal, <laughs> like really good chicken salad. Like, it's like, oh, is that cranberries? Like, mmm, that's delightful. <laughs> but, but it doesn't change the fact that the ingredients that he's working with, you know, clearly aren't to the point that he needs them to be. Well, and just on that right side, I mean, talking about the issues of finding the guy who's going to fit with Quinn Hughes, I mean, you could even extend that to Tyler Myers, right? Like, that's not necessarily a comfortable pairing that you want to play together. Now, you wouldn't... When you, when you're trailing. When you're trailing, <laughs> but we've also seen that you don't, they don't want to start the game no. like that, right? And why would you break up OEL and Myers at this point as well? But it's there's, there's no... Outside of Shen, they have yet to, to discover a clean fit with Quinn Hughes. And then the other thing, as you say, I mean, even if Tucker Pullman was healthy today... Are, I guess, are you taking Hamannick out of the lineup? You're not. I, I think after the Lightning game, yes. Yeah, I guess. But I think so. It, it, I, Pullman, Pullman's been so good defensively. You know, and, and no one has been more critical of the Tucker Pullman signing, uh, Tucker Pullman's start to the year than me. And yet, when you consider the mobility and the defensive awareness and the, and the you know, the overall impact that he's had defensively, like, you know, that's not a contract that I'm looking at as a top line must move out to clear salary deal. For me, that's almost the fourth, like of the four guys making between 2.5 and 3.5, Tucker Pullman's become the last guy that I'd move. And by the way, I think the organization feels that way too. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, I think, I think Pullman would play, like, that's why I, I, it was my question, right? Is, Is Tucker Pullman's absence at this point a coach's decision? Boudreaux said no. And, and, you know, it was interesting to me because I was curious, especially with the juggling we saw in the defense core, uh, with the line rushes. And, and so just to be clear with everybody, OEL Myers, obviously, Hughes Shen, and Hunt back with Hamannick. A pair, that third pair, by the way, has worked. Like, has worked really well. But I sort of wondered, would Pullman, like, w- wasn't this a natural opportunity to get Pullman back in the lineup? Especially considering the fact that they're coming off of consecutive losses for the first time in three months. And, you know, Boudreaux implied that, in fact, Pullman was not an option. He said, oh, right, Pullman's yeah. not an option for tonight. So that sort of explains it. And that's how the Canucks will line up. And, and I do think the return of the Shen-Hughes pair, you know, uh, underscores one of the issues that the Canucks have on the right side of their defense core, which honestly feels very familiar to me with some of the issues that the Canucks had in their bottom six in recent years, where it's just like a bunch of overpriced, redundant pieces, like a bunch of guys who are the same player, right? 
Um, well, that's the thing. Even if Pullman draws in because he's playing well, okay, well, then you're scratching Hamannick, who you have on $3 million for next year totally. as well, right? So e- either way, it's kind of – it's great that Hamannick has, has proven to have that value and you don't feel as bad about the contract, but that means then you're scratching Travis Hamannick and uh, you don't feel great about that no, either, right? So, so it, But it's just a, it's a redundancy issue. As for, as for up front, Pedersen out. So we're going to see a very interesting top six mix, right? We're seeing Miller with Garland and Pearson. So the Pearson-Miller duo with Garland on the right side, um, Miller talked about how there's an adjustment for him because he likes to hold the puck and Garland likes to hold the puck. So we'll see how well that works. You know, Pearson with Garland, when they had Horvat in the middle of that line, I didn't love that fit because I felt like Garland's dipsy doodles um, got in the way almost of the straight line game that Horvat and Pearson both play. Uh, you know, Miller's a little bit more, I think, creative in terms of his vision on the ice than, than uh, Horvat is. Yes. So perhaps he can string it together. Perhaps he can make it work, but uh, we'll see. I, I certainly like the fit of Garland's, Garland having two, you know, sizable lefties to dish to. Uh, I think so long as they, you know, are really disciplined about playing off of what Garland likes to do and defer to him as the primary playmaker, the primary chef in that kitchen, I, I, I'm clearly hungry. Uh, with all the food references. <laughs> well, it is lunchtime, Dresser, so <laughs> yeah. I get it. I'm there um, with you. You know, so long as they do that, I, I, I'm curious to see how that can work. I think I think it can. The most interesting plot line, though, for me in the top six is Niels Hoaglander coming off back-to-back games in which he set a career low in ice time against the Washington Capitals and then broke that record and played even less against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Both games are games where the Canucks are trailing. That feels like the game you need Hoaglander to play in. So, you know... Right out from the deadline, you know that any young player who's gone from being a top six fixture to being on the fringes of the lineup is not going to be pleased with it. He's getting a shot to flip that narrative, right? To reset things, and he's getting some really good line mates to play with in, in Horvat and Besser. Um, you know, that that line is going to be counted on to produce and, and have heavy shifts and, and, you know, hold the puck, like create some zone time. Um, it's going to be a very interesting challenge, though, because, you know, Besser is a really strong defensive player. Bo Horvat can handle tough matchups. Hoaglander, though, is really high event, and high event can be death against a team that's as fast as the New Jersey Devils, that is as significantly faster than the Canucks as the New Jer- Jersey Devils are. Um, you know, they really need to be careful about managing the puck. They really need to be careful about staying on the right side of it. Both JT Miller and Bruce Boudreau sang from the same hymn book on that topic. So, you know, it's something that they've been discussing internally. Uh, Hoaglander's going to need to be really disciplined about that side of the game, about the details in the game, because I don't think we want to see him drop down the lineup. Like, I don't want to see Chase on skating with Patan and, or sorry, with, uh, with Besser Horvat and Horvat. Um, you know, by by the middle of the second period, like it it would behoove everybody to see Hoaglander produce and to be that threat at five on five that this team's so thirsty for and that he offers right. Like that's what he does. They need him to do that, and and it's a really high profile assignment. It feels to me, particularly six days out from the NHL trade deadline, um, and particularly because he's got to be he's got to be one of the most marketable assets on this team, and he's certainly the one that as I look up and down some of the trade chips that this team could put in play ahead of the deadline, like he's the one that I'm probably the most uncertain about 
based on his declining usage under Boudreaux. Yeah, it, it's a really fascinating chance for Niels Hoaglander. So just to run through the forward lines as they skated at the morning skate today, it's Pearson, Miller, and Garland, Hoaglander, Horvat, Besser. The Mott, Lamico, Highmore line is reunited after one game uh, spent at least starting apart against Tampa. And then it's Chason with Nick Patan again making his regular season Canucks debut and Vasily Podkolzin. And if, if you would just ask me to kind of guess, okay, which of Podkolzin and Hoaglander would be in the top six and which would be on the line with Chason and Patan, I would have said Podkolzin's going to be with Horvat and Besser and Hoaglander will be down on that fourth line. But it, it's that's what stood out to me the most about the, this lineup group. And also just you're seeing the domino effect of not having Elias Pettersson in the lineup, right? They call up Nick Patan to get another center in so they can move Highmore back with Mott and Lamico after he kind of subbed in and did his best at center against Tampa. With Hoaglander, the question for me is, okay, he's going to start there with Horvat and Besser. How long does he last on that line, right? And as you said, you know, in games where they've been trailing, Boudreaux has shown a tendency to shorten the bench. And especially with Pedersen out, you're basically looking at, okay, he trusts Pearson, Miller, Garland, Horvat, Besser, and the Lamico line. So that's like eight guys. And you just kind of jumble and shuffle those eight guys through and get them the minutes. And maybe you pick your spots with Hoaglander and Pod Colson and some of the other guys. Can Hoaglander do enough? And can the game go in the right direction enough that you avoid that trap? And he just gets to take a regular shift with Horvat and Besser rather than, you know, it's midway through the second period, as you said, and all of a sudden Horvat and Besser are out there and, and Pearson's double shifting with them, right? Or right. Horvat and Besser are out there and Garland is double shifting them or whatever the case is, because that's a lot of what we saw in the third against Washington, and pretty much all game against Tampa as well, with Pedersen out. Well, and so the assignment, basically, you look up and down the lineup, right? The assignment is you've got this Lamico line, which is the one line that has the speed to really hang yep. with New Jersey, right? So you, you expect that they're going to get a ton of minutes, and therefore, they need to establish that forecheck. Like, they need to be a, a line that can get the Devils on their heels. That's a big ask for a line that's typically your fourth. But tonight's going to be their third for sure. For sure is going to play 10-plus minutes, I, I would expect, at 5-on-5. Five five. And so in that line, they need them to, to be able to establish the forecheck. That's their fastest group by a lot. That's the line that matches up best with the team speed of the New Jersey Devils. You've got this Horvat-Hoaglander-Besser line that you need to provide some secondary offense. Like, you need and, – and I don't necessarily mean production so much as you need them to play in their in the offensive end. You need – to avoid having lengthy shifts where, you know, you've got Hoaglander, Besser, and Horvat defending. Uh, you've got the Miller line. We all know what they need from the Miller line, right? <laughs> That's the line that needs to especially uh, create easier sledding for everyone down the lineup. That's the line you need to be grinding them below the um, – below the hash marks, right? That they need to play their game and, and really that's the line that you need to produce. And then and then you need Patan, Chase on and Pod Colson to just give you some safe minutes. Just give you some safe minutes. But that's a line that yeah, they'll be playing fourth line comp, but that's a line that doesn't have a ton of speed. Like that's no. that's a line where, you know, the New Jersey Devils might try and, and pick at the Canucks and, and granted the Canucks have last change, but uh, I'll, I'd be watching for some quick changes, particularly to see if they can get out there. You know, if you're if you're the Devils, right? You're 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 looking to see if you can get some of your faster players, some of your, you know, like a like a random Jesper Bratt shift against you know Chase on Patan, Pod Coles, and Hunt Hamannick, right? Like that's what you want uh, if you're New Jersey. So it's going to be interesting to watch how they manage that chess match, um, you know, matchup wise in this game. And and last thing I want to really in diving into what this what to expect tonight and you know first of all it's nice to be able to 
treat this game like it matters so much. Absolutely. Right? To I mean, really dive in on the line. I mean, we'll, and we'll talk trade. You have a trade tiers piece mm-hmm. up at the Athletic today. We'll get to that in the back half of the show. But, yeah, to actually be able to, okay, the nitty-gritty of the tactical decisions that the yeah. coaching staff well, are making And they're, they're going to matter so much. Yeah. Every team that the Canucks are chasing is in action tonight, right? It's uh, it's going to be a fascinating night on the out-of-town scoreboard. It's going to be a fascinating night at Rogers Arena. I hope the building is packed. I hope it's loud. Um, you know, it really kind of, like it was loud on Sunday, but it you know it hasn't really been packed to the brim here yet. So hopefully tonight's an, a night. You uh, know, it's a week weekday game against against a non, the Devils against a non-public team. But you know, you hope that the Canucks can rely on a big uh, home ice advantage tonight. A, a lot of energy from the crowd, um, but. Tonight feels like a really crucial tipping point game on this homestand, right? They're 1-1-1, one, 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 which is which is decent, right? 1-1-1 one, one, one is decent. But to really keep making up ground, like the way I kind of view this at this point is, you know, you go 15-7, and seven, that gets you to 95 points. That should be good enough, but it's not punch your ticket 100%. It's not guaranteed. Right? It's, it's really the six losses. You have six losses to control if you want to control your destiny you can you can withstand six regulation losses in my view because if you go uh, 16 and and 6 then you're looking at uh, 97 nine, sorry 97 points no one has ever missed the playoffs in the modern playoff sort of structure with 96 so 96 only two teams with 96 points have ever missed one of them I worked for <laughs> so I know <laughs> so I know Hey, I didn't say I the name. Say, remind us I what, didn't say the name. Remind us of what team that was again. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Faber. You ding you ding yourself. Keep overhyping college guys. <laughs> Feel free to chime in and argue with me, by the way. I'm good. You guys have your fun. <laughs> um the the so nine you know, you can withstand six regulation losses. Six regulation losses to control your own destiny. Seven, you're probably okay. Eight you're in trouble, right? And that's 14 and 8. Like, that's a high bar here. So that's that's the thin margin that the Canucks are dealing with. You've got this run of games that look winnable if you just check the standings, right? The Devils, the Detroit Red Wings, the Buffalo Sabres. Three of yeah. the last four on with this. With the Flames mixed in there on Saturday, Saturday. yeah. And, and the interesting dynamic that the Edmonton Oilers also play, all of those teams except Calgary, right? So you're in a horse situation with the Edmonton Oilers for the third overall spot in the Pacific. Um or at least in that race with with the Vegas Golden Knights, and then and then you've got sort of the the loss counter that I that I just presented to watch for that second wild card spot. So tonight feels like a tipping point game because while those games look easy if you look at the NHL standings, all of those teams can skate. All of those teams have a lot of speed on the back end, right? You're talking about guys like Moritz Sider. You're talking about guys like Jonathan Dolan. You're talking about Dougie Hamilton, and then supporting pieces. You're talking about Siegenthaler. You're talking about um, Ty Smith, you're talking about Philip Peronic and you know Colin Miller, uh, Mark Pesic, guys who can guys who can beat this forecheck. So, in some ways, these are all teams that match up like are tough matchups for the Canucks because of their team speed, because of their back end speed. And of those teams, the team that is the most like that <laughs> is the Devils. We saw it the other night in Newark. Uh, it's really crucial. Like, if the Canucks can win this game, that's the blueprint that you can roll out again against the Red Wings and against the Buffalo Sabres. Like, I'll feel a lot better about how the Canucks match up against those sort of speedy, pesky, non-playoff teams in the Eastern Conference if the Canucks are able to contain the Devils and win tonight. If they're if they struggle, if that speed puts them on their heels, 
um, you know, if they lose, first of all, that's a really tough spot to be in. But but more than that, I think it's going to pose some really difficult questions about how this team's going to be able to handle the serve, you know, that, that's going to be shot at them by some pretty speedy teams in Buffalo. I, and I will Detroit. also just say, even beyond the matchup, I, th- I just think the Devils are the best team of those uh, b- between the Red Wings and the Sabres and the Devils. They are the team that has really been undone by their goaltending more than anything else. But And it, Nico Dawes has stabilized Exactly. It. If they get a decent goaltending performance, we've seen they can do some really dangerous things at 5-on-5. Five five, yeah, right? they're, like, they're, they're a goalie away from being a playoff team. That's the thing. And they have that those guys like Jack Hughes who can break a game open, right? Jesper Bratt. They have a lot of talent here. So I think that... New Jersey, maybe more than a lot of other teams even in the standings at this point, is kind of misleading when you just look at where they are in the standings and their record. Like, you think, oh, that should be an easy win, so to speak, even though there are no easy wins in the NHL. But I actually think they have a much more talented team than that. So, And the the underlying data has them as a top 10 team over their last 10 games, right? Like, that's, you know, that's a – they are good. They are are not a – they are not a pushover team by any means. No. No question about it, and and they've been playing pretty well too. I mean, their their last ten games, they've um, you know they're only five hundred, but when you look at again the way they've played, the underlying profile, the fact that they've outscored their opponents five on five, right? There's a lot of good things happening um, for that for and around that team, and the the expected goals mark over the over their last ten games is gaudy, right? Like it's really gaudy. It's fifty four point five percent. That's up there with the likes of the Florida Panthers. Um. No, oh, I said it again. Um, no, but that's but up you didn't there. say you worked there. Though. That's up you didn't there. Say you worked that, there. That's up there with the likes of you know the Panthers, the Stars, the 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 Wild, the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, right? Like the the teams that we know control play five on five. Uh, Buffalo and Detroit are not nearly in that type of form. So uh, you know this one's this one's a dicey one, particularly because if you win this, it feels like you know, it gives you a launching pad to turn this into a really successful homestand as opposed to a homestand where, you know, you're looking at those three games remaining and thinking as, we got to run the table. Must have. We got to run the yeah. table. Like you can, you know, and you probably need to do it anyway already with where they're at. If the, if the plan is to continue to gain ground, you probably need to run the table as it stands, but you certainly do if you don't win tonight. Well, and to be able to do it tonight without Patterson would obviously be huge as well because if, you know, as Boudreaux said, he's going to be a possibility for Thursday. It'll depend whether or not he's able to practice tomorrow. But as we said, look, New Jersey is a is a good five-on-five team, so doing it without Patterson is going to be a challenge. The other thing I did just want to talk about from what we saw at morning skate, okay, trying to figure out how can the Canucks find that edge. We talk about goaltending, but Nico Dawes has done a good job for the Devils. Obviously, the Canucks... Uh, still feel pretty good about their edge there with Thatcher Demko in that. And the other place you look is special teams, obviously. And Patterson, of course, does not just affect the team at 5-on-5. Five five. He's a massive part of what they want to do on the power play as well. Last game against Tampa, we saw OEL. Basically, the, the first unit stay the same, except you slide OEL into uh, Elias Patterson's spot in that one-timer spot on the flank. From what they did at Morning Skate today, that looks to continue tonight with OEL taking that position on Power Play 1. And that is – that's the move that kind of has me scratching my head a little bit here, Drancer. And it's it's one thing to just look at it and say, come on, two defensemen on Power Play 1, what are you doing? That's not the modern NHL. But there just feels like a really obvious solution to this problem, right? Which is you have a really good net front guy in Tanner Pearson who's playing on your second Power Play unit – why not bring him up, put him in front of the net, and then use JT Miller and Brock Besser 
on the flanks in some combination, right? Or move Horvat to the flanks or whatever it is rather than kind of try to shoehorn OEL. Yeah, I know he's had a lot of power play success in his career, but that's been from the point. That's been as the power play quarterback, not as a guy shooting one-timers from the top of the circle. It just feels a little bit like trying to force a square peg into a round hole where you have options that make more sense down on power play two in the form of Tanner Pearson. I, I don't like the two, well, and Alex Chason. I mean, if Alex Chason's not your answer, well, that's the, the thing. It's why, why exactly is he in the lineup on the roster unless to play emergency net front power play, right? <laughs> yeah, it's if he if he's not in that spot, it's like, do you even go here, man? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what exactly do you do here? <laughs> well, and like we know what he does. He's a really good power play net front guy. Like yeah. that's that's the thing about Alex Chason. I mean, say what you will about any you know foot speed or, or what have you. Like, you know, he's really good in that spot. And then and then you come to the fact that a guy like Vasily Podkolzin is third on this team in five on five goals and doesn't seem to ever get a look on the power play. It's like Nils Oglander. Don't, don't you want him to get reps there? Don't you know at some point? So. You know, I like the second unit. The second unit was the one that when I tweeted it out, people were like, wow, that's not good. But it's like, I don't know, that kind of makes sense to me. You've got Chase on, you've got Pearson in the bumper, so you're going to have a lot of traffic. You've got Brad Hunt, who's a totally reliable power play option for you. And then you've got Garland and... Um, Myers, I think it was, right? No, 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 oh, no. it was a forward. It's uh, Garland and, oh my goodness, uh, Patan on the flanks. And that makes sense to me. Like, Patan might not be a star, but that makes sense. I think he's going to be a totally good fit on his on his weak side on the flanks, you know, on, on a PP2. So, you know, that all works. Now, all of this said, the Canucks power play's biggest issue for me is getting set up, right? I mean, they're, they're just not generating enough attempts. Now, when they are set up, they have the skill that it's always lethal, and that's great. But if you're leaning on conversion rate as opposed to your ability to get set up, you're leaning on results, not process, and I hate to see that. Like, not not that I hate to see that derisively. I hate to see that because I don't believe in it. Right? Exactly. Like, I think that it's likely to be ephemeral if you're if you're leaning on your one shot scorers to just be consistently perfect, fine, flawless in their execution. I'd rather see the Canucks set up in a way where they're generating volume, where they're generating a higher volume of those looks, because that's how you're going to sustain the type of power play success that this team's leaned on so heavily over the course of this recent post-All-Star break hot streak. Yeah, and I guess that's the uh, the question is there. Obviously, Pedersen is key not just when they're set up, but his ability to gain the zone is so important as well. There's no substitute for that. There's no easy plug-and-play option there. You know, I'm talking about Tanner Pearson, but that's very much a once you're set up, he's going to help you. He's not necessarily going to help you gain the zone and get set up. That is going to continue uh, to be an issue and something to really watch, especially without Elias Pedersen for the Canucks in this game. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Lots of texts coming in. We will get to them. Some about the game tonight, some about trades. Drancer just published a great uh, trade tier piece up at The Athletic, so we'll dive into that a little bit as well. Don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Lots more to come ahead of the Canucks and the Devils. It's the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> like, really good chicken salad. Like It's like, oh, is that cranberries? Like, mmm, that's delightful. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, live from Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day, taking on the New Jersey Devils. 
a little bit later on here at Rogers Arena at 7 o'clock. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the, the Hughes Bowl uh, this time around. Marcus and Gibson's text in. Redemption night for Quinn. A lot on the line when it comes to the Hughes household and bragging rights. Look for an anytime goal by both Quinn and Jack Hughes. Uh, it's the Hughes Mega Bowl, says Marcus and Gibson's. My big question is, are they going double for nothing on uh, fine fine art for the uh, for the house that they share <laughs> after Jack won the last bet? Yeah, it's a good question. They're going to pick up two Rembrandts instead of one. Two Rembrandts. Well, I mean, they do smell like the vault. <laughs> um, the the yeah. Well, we're going to pivot though and talk deadline, yeah, right? We are. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wanted to read this text right off the okay. top, right? So for for those who haven't seen it yet, Drance has a, a new Canucks trade deadline tiers, basically looking at who's untouchable, who's on the market, etc. Going through the tiers of players that could be or could and not the be the latest on what I'm hearing and the latest on what he's hearing about all of them up at the Athletic. And I did just want to read this text right off the top, Drancer. It's signed uh, signed Eternal Return of the Same, and it says regardings regarding Drance's trade tiers. This run has been fun. But if this management group's first move is to not make move, it sets off real alarm bells. I know we have to credibly give them the summer too, but if but it's worrying. Are we really going to do another year of overvaluing our own pieces and getting nothing in return? And from from reading your piece, Trance, but also just paying attention, listening to the station, listening to the other insiders, it does feel like the trade chatter has. The tenor of the chatter has changed significantly around the Canucks in the last couple of weeks. Here. Yeah, I mean, I think teams that were throwing their fishing lines into the pond, hoping to get a nibble and, and maybe reel in a, a Connor Garland or a, or a JT Miller or one of the Canucks' bigger ticket items, they seem to be not optimistic. They, they're they packing up their tackle box and, and going home. Um, now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean much, right? Anything can happen. One phone call changes anything. Like, forecasting at this time of year is a fool's errand. So, you know, you do your best, you qualify as much as you can, and you're prepared to look silly because this is a very difficult time of year to cover. But, you know, I I mean, that is the sense I get. I don't expect that the Canucks are going to do, you know, a a ton of – I don't expect them to behave like a a traditional seller, right? I I really don't at this juncture. You know, I think even – the pending UFA and Tyler Mott's going to require, and I've been saying this for a few weeks, a big price if they're going to move him. I think there's an increasing chance that he functions as an own rental. And so, you know, we'll see what they do. We'll see what they do. I do think one thing to remember here is that carving out additional cap flexibility is still top of mind. You know, you're certainly not going to see the Canucks buy. And you're definitely not going to see them add cap commitments. I still think they'd love to find a way out of um, the Yaroslav Halak bonus overage, which, uh, you know, $1.25 million, which would apply against the cap next season. Uh, I do think they'd love to do more than that, too. It's just whether or not they can and whether or not they judge that this timing is right or whether or not those moves will wait to the offseason. Like, I still think this management group has come in with a clear-eyed view of what needs to happen and, and how this team needs to be at least partially disassembled to create the avenues required to improve. But I, I certainly don't think they're going to go in and be as dramatic about it as certainly I've called for and advocated for and suggested, you know, should be our bar. I don't think the Canucks are going to carve out the $7.5 million in cap space that, you know, they'd like to, right? That they'd like to and that certainly I think would pay dividends. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, I mean we'll see. There, this could change. Things could change rapidly. 
Um, yeah, it's going to be. I, I think. I think we're likely to be looking at this deadline as a relatively conservative start, and that's a huge shock considering Jim Rutherford's track record in Pittsburgh. Right, the fact that it's been so quiet to this point um, is is pretty surprising. And and if that continues for for another six days, you know, I do think we'll look at this and, and sort of wonder as to whether or not this club has materially changed direction as much as it certainly feels under Boudreaux and Rutherford's leadership. It does It does increasingly feel like that change of direction could come in the summer instead of, you know, in the next five or six days here going in to the trade deadline, if, if it comes at all to the degree that a lot of people thought uh, that it would when Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin took over. J- just to run through kind of some of the tiers, right? So you have the still-not-moving tier, no surprises in there. Hughes, Pedersen, OEL, of course, because of his contract status more than anything else. Bo Horvat, Thatcher Demko, Fasili Podkolzin. The two kind of really fascinating tiers for me are one where it's only if the offer is massive, and then the other one which is complete wild card, right? And the, yeah. and the only if the offer is massive. Are, I'm going names... to caption as we go. So. Sure. So it's JT Miller. Yeah. Right. I, and I, I, and we we've, we've talked that to death. We right? have the, the way he's playing right now. It would just have to be such a spectacular offer that, and I don't know if there if any team is going to pony up and and do that kind of deal in season in particular for even for a player and I don't like know, JT Miller. And I don't know if the Canucks have the appetite for it. I think that's the thing. I think there's a real sense that he's irreplaceable. Connor Garland, another name that came up, you know, ties to New Jersey uh, was reported. The team they're playing here tonight. Ties, ties to a bunch of teams that are not in go for it mode, right? There's, there's, anyway, Connor Garland. The Heat has cooled down there a lot in, in talking to various um, industry contacts. I, you know, I don't see that one happening at this point. But again, qualify that may may, may make me look silly in the next six days. But the Heat is certainly down. And, and teams that were maybe hopeful that they could pry him loose, I, I don't think are particularly hopeful at this juncture. Garland is kind of emblematic to me of the whole Canucks situation, right? Where there's no urgency for the Canucks to move him, right? They, it's not, oh my gosh, we have to trade Connor Garland because he's a productive player and he has significant term left on his deal. And it's a deal that's not awful by any stretch. It's a good deal, right? It's one that you think can provide you surplus value. So there's no urgency for them to trade him. There's also no urgency for anyone to necessarily go out and acquire him because, as you said, teams that aren't necessarily playoff teams that aren't in all-in, go-for-it mode, they've inquired about Connor Garland for all of those reasons, right? Because he has the term left on his deal. So it's just the kind of it's the kind of fascinating player where you could choose to move him in a hockey trade, but there's no, oh my goodness, we have to get this done and we have to move Connor Garland right now. So he's just kind of that classic type of player that, hey, sure, if the right offer comes along at the deadline – you feel okay pulling the trigger, but you also feel just fine keeping him. You also feel just fine exploring what you can do with him in the off season, and that's that's kind of where the Canucks are with a lot of different players right now, right? It's just yep. look, look, we don't have to do anything here. We could. There's a lot we could do. There's very little we feel we have to do going into the deadline. Now, the exception to that may or may not be another guy who's in the only if the offer is massive tier which is Tyler Mott, who is, of course, a pending UFA after this season. I, I don't think the Canucks find the idea of a mid-round pick for Tyler Mott to be particularly appetizing or something like an opportunity that they can't miss, even though he's a pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, you know, there's a lot of regard for the player internally. I think they'd love to keep him at the right price, but I also think there's an understanding that with where they're positioned, the right price is probably not high enough. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they'll... 
we'll see where that one goes. We'll see if the an extension can be reached b- before March 21st. But even if it's not, I, I don't I don't think the club will hesitate to hold him unless they get a, a real offer they can't refuse for a player who I don't think is going to net that type of offer. That's sort of the dynamic for him and the next guy on the list, which is Luke Shen. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to note here, right, is you saw the price paid by the Colorado Avalanche for Josh Manson. It was a second-round pick. The Anaheim Ducks retained half to, to consummate the deal, and then Drew Hellison was uh, going the other way. And, you know, I know Faber loves Drew Hellison because he loves his college kids. but um, They're good. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. Hey, Hellison <laughs> signed today, too. They go on and get him in quick. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, no. So Hellison's leaving BC to, to uh, begin his professional career, and best of luck to him. But, you know, mileage will vary significantly depending on who you talk to about Drew Hellison, right, or, around the business. Um, that's, not a, that's not a huge return, and, and it was sort of described to me by one industry contact is that's the, that's the price for name value. Right as a name value that's not having a good season, which is which is sort of what Josh Manson has become at this point. Uh, you know, a, a guy who has played pretty well uh, overall, but whose defensive impact um, and penchant for taking penalties has kind of begun to undermine his reputation as this sturdy, tough minutes, top four quality, to- um, right-handed shot defenseman. So, you know, with in a world where the prices where the price for a guy like Manson, a guy we've seen in the past go for first prospect player right is a second and um you know a, a decent prospect right like a like a solid prospect but, but not one of their top prospects i mean hellison would not be if hellison was in the vancouver system he wouldn't be their top prospect no. you'd agree with that right faber you'd still have rathbone ahead of him uh yes i would have rathbone ahead of him but he would be so, the best right d by a mile not to oh, say yeah, that there's sure. a lot in vancouver for sure. i mean he'd yeah. be a top five prospect for the canucks but for the Colorado Avalanche, he like very he almost doesn't register. He's like their fifth best defensive prospect. Yeah, and um, even at right D, he's not their top two. I, I probably the second best actually. But yeah, but but I mean, even that's debatable, right? So uh, my point is, is the Manson price suggests that pr- the in general teams are very very reluctant to part with the sorts of hauls that we've seen in the past. And in that environment, you know, are the Canucks likely to get the type of offer that you know? convinces them to part with a Mott or a, or a Shen who's signed beyond the season, you know, I'm pretty dubious uh, that that's going to happen. But, of course, at this time of year, you never got to qualify it. You, you never, never know. know. Mott still seems like the most likely guy to be traded from this roster uh, before this deadline, and we have a whole bunch of texts coming in about it. Uh, this one says, Andrew here, if Mott becomes an own rental, this management group is basically betting 2.0. We need picks and prospects more than any other team in the NHL, I just don't think they want the mid-round picks. I mean, you, you, everyone knows how I feel about it, right? I feel that mid-round picks are currency. Get them, don't use them, right? That's my that's my basic view of mid-round picks. Um, but I think I think this management group is far more focused on young players. Is far more focused on you know finding hockey players specifically as opposed to going about it in in sort of a more indirect way. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't think a mid-round pick moves them on Mott. And, you know, I don't – do I agree with that stance? No, not really. But I, I, that's how that's my understanding of, of the organizational thinking on it at the moment. I do wonder – I mean, we've heard that Tampa Bay has had a lot of interest uh, in Tyler Mott. I know Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show today mentioned kind of in passing that the, the Leafs have taken a long look mm-hmm. at Tyler Mott as they look to kind of shore up their uh, their depth at forward. 
I, I do wonder if, you know, Tampa doesn't even have a second or a third or a fourth round well, pick this year, the, right? The, so the Tampa one is interesting to me because they have Cal Foot. Yes. They, so they, could they be kind of forced to offer a young player that's interesting to the Canucks rather than a mid round pick that maybe well, doesn't interest them? And the them. thing the thing I wonder is if you can't, you know, sh- no one no one's probably no one's likely to pay up for Mott. No one's likely to pay up for Shen considering the uh, high asking price that the Canucks are likely to stick to. Uh, with both players, but could Tampa Bay come over the top and get and try to get both? Right, you add speed to your bottom right. six, and you add a right side fixture with value beyond this season. A guy you know, you know, he's you know been he's part a of your there. team, and and all of a sudden you're not so worried about Yan Ruda's next contract and that right side, which you know is a plug and play spot for the Tampa Bay Lightning because of their quality on the left side. You know, sort of becomes a different type of equation for them. I, I sort of have wondered about that, particularly because Calfoot has been you know in and out of the lineup for disciplinary reasons or or internal reasons that the club hasn't really elaborated on after getting a, a look with. Uh, Victor Hedman earlier in the season. I've sort of wondered uh, if the Tampa Bay Lightning are a fit for, um, you know, the the type of like bulk buy, <laughs> like a bulk yeah. buy uh, from the Canucks. Um, we'll see. I, I sort of, I mean, that seems pie in the sky. That seems fantasy hockey to me. But yeah, that's sort of a possibility that I've certainly heard some chatter about and want to be mindful of anyway. Well, I, I hear what you're saying about pie in the sky because we don't always see those materialize. But I do think. As you it, said, it like, makes sense. It's yeah. just we're playing fantasy hockey. Yeah, but I also do think there's something <laughs> to be said for what you mentioned, which is that the Canucks, this is not the Anaheim Ducks, right? Where Pat no. Verbeek has basically said, our UFAs are going. Bye-bye, guys. We're shipping you out. They're not a traditional <sighs> seller, and I think yeah. that that opens the door for less action than a lot of people were expecting or necessarily hoping for. But I also do think it just opens the door for unexpected different types of things, right? Like different yeah. styles of trades that don't always match what you might expect to see. We could, we could well be surprised. Deadline. We could well be surprised. But I think if there's a young player, if there's a young player the Canucks like, then I think, you know, business could be back on. I just, I, I don't sense that they're interested in behaving like a pure seller at this juncture. I think they're going to take a more unique approach to the deadline. And, and I don't think it's fair to necessarily... Uh, paint them as as Benning 2.0 just yet, and, and no. I don't think that'll be fair, even if they're relatively conservative at the deadline, just because they do have a fair bit of time. Um, but yeah, I mean the Tyler Mott situation for me is open shut, and and I've been relatively consistent about this that I think you either have to have an extension in hand, um, you know, an extension in hand having moved out a, a cap space elsewhere, or uh, or or I think you should monetize him. But uh, I understand the organizational thinking on it. Um, and particularly their reluctance to part with a guy who is, you know, a key part of a team that's performing really well, uh, that, you know, has a remote playoff shot still, um, you know, and, and a guy who they might want more time to see if they can come to a, an agreement that works for the club with. Uh, this text comes in, can't the Canucks trade Mott and re-sign him in the summer? They can try, but you'll be bidding on the open market with every other team, right? And totally. that, that's something that always comes up with these UFAs. Oh, just trade him and then bring him back. Yeah, but do, it's, the, it's, do the Keith Kachuk. It's a lot easier said than done. Totally. Uh, a lot easier said than done. So 100%. that can't be your plan going in, right? You kind of have to commit one way or another. You can always try. You can always try in the summer, but there's absolutely no guarantee yeah. that that's going to well, happen. And I do think the one thing that's interesting, too, is like the Ducks... You have to be aware of the possibility that the Ducks just continue to mine value, right? Like, they're already basically as good as the Vancouver is in the standings. Their their form over the last 10 games has actually been pretty decent, even though the results haven't been there. And if they're going to be landing five Hellisons, like, I might not love Hellison as a prospect, but if you get five of them, 
right? Like, that, right. Like that's the that's the thing about the call. Like, I'm I'm making fun of Faber's love of college kids, but it's like a lot of the Canucks, a lot of the people that you sign out of college end up being Griffin Molino, or Kellen Lane, or Brogan Rafferty, or Josh Tevez, or Mark Michaelis, right? But every now and then you get a Stetcher, right? And every now and then, maybe once a decade, yeah, you get Tanev. Um, you know, the the way to get some of those guys in though is to sign a lot of them have a constant flow coming in like that's how the pittsburgh penguins have zach aston reese and sort of that their own flow of these guys is that they're always landing two or three every year the canucks haven't signed one since mark michaelis they haven't signed ncaa ufa since mark michaelis which was right after the pandemic began um you know we expect them to be busy we expect them to pursue a variety of of talented players here in the next little bit um goaltenders, uh, you know, variety of defensemen. We'll, we'll see where it lands. They've definitely already been active in pursuit of some of the guys who've already signed. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch this play out. But but the key part is take a bunch of shots. You need more You need more rolls of the dice, more if, spins at the wheel. If the Ducks add five Hellisons, <laughs> they're going to get a player. And, hey, as much skepticism as you can have about a Drew Hellison, if the Canucks had Drew Hellison and he and he had just signed an ELC with them and he was going to go play games uh, with the Abbotsford Canucks, people would be fired up and excited for that prospect in this in this market. Like no doubt about it. Well, and, they would. And the Canucks need five of them, right? Like that's the thing. The Canucks need four or five of those guys to be coming because that's that's how you get one. That's how you get one or two. You need a really high volume of prospects. And and right now, especially on the defense, uh, the defensive side of the puck, I mean. You know, I like there's some intriguing guys who could get there over the course of the next four or five years, but there's certainly no one who you can sort of squint and imagine playing NHL games in 18 months the way you can with Hellison, right? Other than Rathbone, but uh, but I mean, you know, Myronberg, Victor Person, uh, go on and on down the list. It's like th- those are those are marathon type prospects. If they get there, it's going to be a while, and it's likely going to be in a depth role. So those are the players in the it would take a massive offer tier as you as you labeled it Shen Mott Garland Miller. Now the other one that I mentioned the other tier here uh, towards the end of the show that kind of really piqued my interest is what what you have termed as the complete wild card tier and it's uh, two very familiar names Brock Besser and Niels Hoagland playing on the line together tonight. Playing on the line, line together tonight. Yeah, they're showcasing them. No, stop. <laughs> Stop. That always cracks me up, right? Are they showcasing this player? No, they're not. It's they're the, they're it, just making a lineup decision. Well, this week, this week, I always call it the trade sing, uh, seagulls, where it's like I'll I'll be at like practice and I'll be like, this guy's not here, yeah. and then everyone like I get fifty mentions on that tweet that are just like trade, 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 <laughs> trade, 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 trade. It's trade seagulls season. Yeah, no, they are not showcasing these players, but they are in the wild card tier, and both of them. I mean, for Brock Besser, we know it's because of the situation with his. RFA status and qualifying offer. Yeah, and the, I mean, I explained that at length on the Halford and Bruff show, so we won't get into those dynamics at length uh, today. But the thing with Besser is that the tone in talking around the talking to people around the league, the tone around Besser is different for me, reading between the lines and explicitly, than it is around Miller and Garland. Right? Like, there's still some expectation that something could happen there. So, just a situation to be mindful of. And watch, like, that's a different one, I think, than, you know, the, the cooling interest around some of Vancouver's other big ticket items. I do think there's a, a different dynamic around Besser at the moment. Um, you know, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt, for example, about Vancouver and Pittsburgh and um, and, and so on and so forth. And, and one would think that 
in the event that they are looking to do some type of hockey deal uh, of that magnitude, Besser would probably be in the center of it. So uh, there's just a different level of industry expectation uh, about the Besser market and, and Besser's sort of future in Vancouver as the deadline approaches. Not saying anything necessarily happens. I think there's a, a very good chance that he, like a lot of other Canucks players, remains with this yes. team on the other side of the deadline. I think the team is very much prepared to do what they have to do to protect their interests, up up to and including qualifying Brock Besser and risking that he accepts the $7.5 million offer. Um, you know, my understanding is that it's still, um, or my impression anyway, is that it's still quiet. In, in extension talks at the moment. So we'll see where that one goes. But, you know, Besser belonged in a different tier than the other sort of, you know, if it'll take a huge offer kind of kind of guys. Um, and, and that's sort of the situation there. And then Hoaglander, look, I think Hoaglander and everything I've reported, everything I've heard internally is that the Canucks view Hoaglander is in line, right, with their overall expectations or their overall goals, right? This team, this team wants young players between the ages of 20 and 25. Niels Hoaglander is a good young player between the ages of young, 20 and 25. Young, cheap players with upside. Yeah, Hoaglander is the type of player this organization wants more of. And yet, as I watch his usage decline, right? As I, as I anticipate, you know, this being a really important game for him this evening, I'm sort of one, I'm, I'm sort of left wondering and, and, you know, left reading between the lines and, and left, hearing from people within the industry that are sort of eyeing this situation, right? This is, this is a, again, a little bit of a different one, uh, one where I find it almost impossible to handicap one way or the other, but I'm certainly going to have my eyes on Niels Hoaglander as this week develops. The interesting thing with both Besser and Hoaglander is it feels like the most likely deal would be for another team's version of that player, right? Like another team's version of Besser who has a qualifying offer they might not be comfortable with or they, they have questions about, or with Niels Hoaglander, like the defenseman version of Niels Hoaglander who has the upside and is cost-controlled but is kind of on, a, on the outs with that team's coaching staff for well, whatever reason. Or or the other team's version of that player but who plays a position of uh, or who, but who plays a position of need for this club, right? I mean, that would be the other thing yes. to look for would be – does this team feel they have a surplus of wingers? Probably they do. Uh, certainly relative to a right-handed defenseman it's, with some speed. Do they feel more confident about going out and addressing the winger position in the offseason in a variety of other ways than they do about defense? Probably, and that's probably correct, right? We've seen correct. you can do that. So, yeah. So, I, I, you know, that would be those would be the deals that I'd sort of be eyeing there. Um, but again, th- they're in the wild card tier because I really don't have a good sense of where that one's going to go. I, I don't even feel that comfortable <laughs> handicapping it one way or the other. So I'm just pointing them out as like situations to to watch for that are a little bit different. In fact, materially different than some of the other pieces around whom the market scuttlebutt speculation has appeared to cool as the deadline approaches. And we will continue to keep an eye on those situations, keep an eye on how Besser and Hoaglander do as line mates tonight against the New Jersey Devils, which of course you'll be able to hear on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show with Bick Nazar and myself filling in for Randy Bjanda is up next. All day game day coverage continues on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with NCAA free agents all day. 